ladies to drop out and get to the chorus we're going to go old school acapella on the chorus so ladies if you'll drop out and get to that point and let's lift our voices let's sing the fourth verse there shall be showers of blessing
Amen. That's a good one, Fire. Praise the Lord. We don't know her name, but she's a hero just the same. She saved a man's life. In addition to this, she was one who had spiritual insight. She was faithful in her job. She had a good reputation. She defended herself against unjust criticism. And she even survived physical abuse at a man's hand. A man who actually wanted to kill her. Who am I talking about this morning? Who is this one that I'm speaking of? Well, believe it or not, I'm talking about a donkey. Talking about a donkey. Pretty good resume for a donkey, don't you think? We find her story in the Old Testament book of Numbers, if you'd open there. Numbers chapter 22. And I'll probably uh, hit the nail on the head when I say probably most folks in here probably don't spend a lot of time hanging out in the book of Numbers. You might come across it if it comes up in the Sunday school quarterly. You might go through it if you go through a Read the Bible in the Year program. But Numbers chapter 22 has the story about this particular donkey. And we find the story about her and her master, a man by the name of Balaam. Do you remember the story of Balaam, the prophet for prophet, who had a talking donkey? That sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But it's the absolute truth. We have God's word on it. There was a prophet for prophet who had a talking donkey named, well, the donkey wasn't named. Well, maybe he was a donkey. But anyway, the uh, master's name was Balaam. Uh, and it's a prime candidate for our current sermon series, Favorite Bible Stories. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm enjoying this series, uh, going back and looking at some of these familiar uh, Bible stories, looking at them in a fresh way. And I tell you what, my eyes were opened in a great way when I studied the story of Balaam and his talking donkey. And I hope your eyes will be open. We find that the story of the talking donkey is actually part of a larger story revolving around Balaam. It takes up Numbers chapters 22 through 25. And if you'll find your spot in Numbers chapter 22 uh, or be finding it there. And as you are, I need to tell you that the story of Balaam is actually very difficult for many Bible students. In fact, Tom Constable wrote that Balaam has been a problem for many Bible students. On the one hand, he appears to have been a pagan. But on the other, there are indications he may have been a believer. Some commentators believe he was an idol-worshipping false prophet whom God compelled against his will to bless Israel, while others hold that he was a true prophet of Yahweh who simply fell before the temptations of ambitions and money. In other words, he's a bit of a mystery that some have a hard time figuring out. And so I'm going to present the case today and we'll look at it together. And I'll tell you where I end up. And if we disagree, that's fine. But in case you're wondering about Balaam, And his talking donkey, his story is not incidental. Uh, He's not a one hit artist who fades from memory and fades from history. His name appears again and again in the pages of Scripture. In fact, we find him, beloved, beginning here in the book of Numbers. But then we find him again in Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, Second Peter, Jude, and even the book of Revelation. And so he's not an incidental character and his story is not incidental. J. Vernon McGee, who you may have heard years ago on the radio, he's still on uh, today, said the very interesting thing is that there's more said in Scripture concerning Balaam than there's said about Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. 
He says there's more said about him than about ten of the apostles of the Lord all put together. He says, therefore, the word of God does give some emphasis to him. There's emphasis on Balaam. I mean, he's mentioned in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. And so we need to understand his story, understand what in the world is all of this about. And he appears three times in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, when it talks about Balaam, it talks about these three things. It talks about the way of Balaam. The error of Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam. And we're going to unpack that as well today in our time together. The way of Balaam, the error of Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam. And before we read Numbers 22 and see his talking donkey and all that went on here, let me give you those three verses. I'll put them on the screen for you. You can jot down the reference. We have, first of all, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The way of Balaam, 2 Peter 2.15. Then there is Jude 11. Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of of Korah, Jude 11. Of course, you know, there's just one chapter, so that's why it's Jude 11. And then finally, Revelation 2.14. These are actually the words of the Lord Jesus speaking to one of his churches. It says in Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality, the way, the error, and the doctrine of Balaam. And we'll try to uncover what those three things are as we study together. Are you in Numbers 22? All right, good. We're at a point, beloved, in the history where we're in the 40th year after the Exodus. The children of Israel have come out of, the, out of Egypt. It's the 40th year of the Exodus. Uh, the children of Israel will soon enter into the promised land. And we pick up the story in Numbers 22. You want to have it open the whole time today because we're going to look a lot here in Numbers chapter 22. And then we'll look at those verses I put on the screen again uh, in a little bit. Numbers 22. Let's pick up the story at verse 1. Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, now Balak... It's a different person now. Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at this time. So you have this fellow named Balak. He's the king of the Moabites. And uh, he's talking to the elders of Midian. Now pick up the story. You notice there's fear, overwhelming fear, because the children of Israel are there and there's so many of them. And they've seen what they've done to the Amorites. Now pick up the story, verse 5. Then he sent messengers to Balaam. Here's our prophet here. Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, now, here's what the message is. Look, 
A people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Now watch what he asked him to do. Verse six, please, therefore, come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too many for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, you need to know, we'll stop there for a moment, that Balaam was a Gentile. In the book of Joshua, he's called a soothsayer. So he's a soothsayer, a Gentile soothsayer, and his reputation obviously exceeds him. It's obviously well known because Balak, the king of Moab here, has so much confidence in him that he goes to all the time and effort and expense to obtain his services. And basically says, listen, Balaam, I want you to come and pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel. Warren Wiersbe went so far as to say Moab and Midian needed the help of the devil. And Balaam was in touch with the devil. Verse 7 says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balaam. Now, he was a prophet out to make a prophet. He was a professional soothsayer. And the next words seem quite remarkable. These elders from Moab, these elders from Midian come to Balaam and say, Balaam, listen, these people are here. The king wants to come pronounce a curse upon them. He's a Gentile. He's a soothsayer. And it says in verse 8, Balaam said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you. Now watch this next part. As the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now here you have this pagan prophet this soothsayer, this one who's part of the occult, this one that's in touch with the devil, if you will. And he says, listen, I'm going to go seek the will of the Lord. How can this be? Well, as I study this out in this day, it seems it appears that in this day that the people thought that different groups of people, they had their own God. And so you would appeal to that person's or those people's gods. And so the church of Israel had Jehovah, they had Yahweh. She said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to appeal to their God. I'm going to appeal to Yahweh, if you will. I'm going to seek to establish contact with their God and see what he says. And I'll get back with you. And this is where people begin to really struggle. Why? Because God did speak to him. He's a pagan man. He's a soothsayer. He's involved, we think, with the occult and all that goes on with that. And God not only speaks to him, later on, God speaks through him. How can this be? This is why Bible students struggle. Well, listen, just because God spoke to him and just because God spoke through him does not mean he is a godly prophet. He spoke God's truth, but as far as I can tell, he's still a lost person. You've got to remember in this story that God can even speak through a donkey. And he does. God can speak through wicked people if he so chooses. Now pick up the story, verse 9. Then God came to Balaam. This is remarkable here. And God said to Balaam there in verse 9, Who are these men with you? Of course, God knew who they were. He did not call off guard. He knows who they were. But he asked him, Who are these men with you? Verse 10. So Balaam said to God, 
Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, is sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. Now, you and I know enough of the Bible. We know enough about God to know this is never going to happen. We know about the Abrahamic covenant. We studied last week all about that and how God preserved his people. God brought them out and God delivered them in a mighty hand through the Exodus. But we don't know how much Balaam knew. And we don't know what kind of knowledge Balaam had. But he goes and he lays it out before the Lord and says, listen, God, this is what it's all about. And notice what God says in verse 12. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people. Why? For they are blessed. And let me just tell you, beloved, this is cut and dried. There's no gray area here. He basically says to him, don't go, don't curse. They are blessed. God has spoken. Verse 13. Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Now, notice what he said. He told them the truth. But he didn't tell them the whole truth. Look at what he says. Verse 13 again. Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. What did he leave out? That they're blessed. He didn't mention the blessing part. He says, hey, you go back. God won't give me permission. I can't curse them. You go on your way. He told them the truth, but not the whole truth. He did not mention the fact that they are blessed. In other words, if you will, he kind of left the door open, didn't he? Verse 14. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak sent again, sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. So he sends an even uh, he sends even a more glorious representation. Verse 16, they came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Now, we know what Balaam should have said. But notice verse 18, what he actually said. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Wow. Now, if the story ended right here, we'd say, we know, maybe we're wrong about Balaam. I mean, he seems to be right on. He's an obedient servant of Jehovah. But then we read the next verse, verse 19. And here's where it goes downhill. Now, therefore, though you give me a whole house full of silver and gold, you do all that. I could not go against the word of the Lord, my God. Verse 19. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, you and I know he had no reason to go again to God and say, Lord, here they are. They want me to go curse them. What do you want me to do? God's already said what? Don't go. Don't curse. They are blessed. He'd already spoken loud and clear. But then the story takes another surprising twist because he goes to the Lord again. And notice what God says this time. Verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you. Rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So he goes back to God. and This time God says, go, but only speak what I tell you. 
So, verse 21, Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, here she is, and went with the princes of Moab. Then we find another surprising twist, verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now, how can this be? God said, go. You can go this time. So he got up and he went. And when he went, God got angry and stood as an adversary against him. How can this be? Well, we could talk about God's perfect will versus God's permissive will. Now, God has a perfect will, what he wants accomplished. But then he also has a permissive will. In other words, uh, there's something that we know what we ought to do, but yet we keep persisting, persisting, persisting. And sometimes God says, "Okay, I'll let you have your way. Mom and dad, you ever done that before? You have a child that says, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And you know it brings hardship and it's not pleasant, it's not right, it's not going to be good. They're not going to like it, but they keep pressing, 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 pressing. They don't listen to your counsel. You say, okay, tell you what, big boy, you go do that. You go do it. And you let them sow and you let them reap what they sow. So it may have been the issue of God's perfect will versus God's permissive will. But I think what we have here actually is a matter of the heart. What I believe is going on here is Balaam is eager to go. He got up and went right away. He's eager to go not to speak God's word. He's eager to go because he's going to get a big payday. He's already said no to the first offer. Now they bring more noble people. I'll give you more money, more honor, more glory. He says, oh, yeah, let me go back and talk to God again. Yeah, let's go. Hey, let's, let's get an early start in the morning. This brings us to the way of Balaam. Look at 2 Peter 2.15 again. I got on the screen in front of you. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, notice what it says at the end of 2 Peter 2.15. Who loved what? The wages of unrighteousness. We see here again the idea of profit, of making money. J. Sidlow Baxter says that the era of Balaam is the, excuse me, the, the way of Balaam basically is this, beloved. If you use your spiritual gifting for personal profit and gain. In other words, doing what you call God's work, not for God, but for your own selfish advantages. He was more concerned about wages than he was the ways of God. And so the way of Balaam is the way of profit, the way of making money. The way of using spiritual giftings and talents and doing God's work in God's name, not for God's glory, but for your pocketbook. That's the way of Balaam. And then there's the era of Balaam. I jumped ahead of myself. Jude 11. Woe to them, for they have gone to the way of Cain, have run, what? Greedily in the era of Balaam for what? For profit. This is where J. Sidlow Baxter says the era of Balaam is the idea that the will of God may be circumvented. Under the cover of outwardly respecting his name. In other words, I'm doing God's work. God said I could go. God said, okay, you can go. But you're not really wanting to do God's will. You want to do your will. But you're doing it under the guise of God's name. Using God's glory as your cover. Saying, oh, I'm doing God's work. But actually you're doing greedy work. The error of Balaam. The Lord says, I can go. I can go now. 
It's the idea of looking for loopholes in God's will. Beginning to rationalize what God has said plain and clear. Today they might say this way, well, I know God's word says this, but the way I interpret that is this way. Be careful when you get to that point. So off he goes in the way of Balaam, trying to get a big payday. The era of Balaam, trying to kind of go about God's will in his own way, if you will. And it says the angel of the Lord stood in his way. Many Bible scholars believe the angel of the Lord here is actually a theophany or Christophany. That's a big $20 set of words. It simply means this. This is probably Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord withstanding him here. And he's on his way on his donkey and the angel of the Lord is standing there in his way to stop him. And this is where the donkey saves his life. Verse 23. Now, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So what did Balaam do? He struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. So two times now he's hit this donkey. Verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord, and many believe this is Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, standing with a sword. To withstand Balaam. Do you see how uh, committed to his promise the Lord is? To bless his people and curse those who curse him. Verse 26. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Three times now, he's gotten frustrated with this donkey. Modern day interpretation. Three times your car is conked out. You haven't got very far. Bum, bum, bum. You kick the tires three times. Modern day. I love verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, let me just stay out think about that this week. What kind of accent does a donkey have? I know what Kirby sounds like across the way from us, and he kicks up. But when a donkey talks, what does a donkey sound like? Well, we know what a donkey says here. She said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you struck me these three times? <laughs> think about it. You ever heard a donkey speak? No, maybe we're not answer that. <laughs> uh, but think about it. You're there. You're on the donkey. You struck it. Bam, bam, bam. Why do you strike me these three times? What would you do? Look at what Balaam does. Balaam carries on the conversation with the donkey. You ever carried a con- on a conversation with it? I better not go there either. <laughs> And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, 
I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. He said, why do you keep hitting me? He said, you keep abusing. I wish I had a sword. I'd kill you, donkey. Verse 30. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? And then she goes to her character, her references, her her testimony. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he thought about it and he said, no. Now, the question that comes to my mind is really this. Who was the real donkey in this story? Uh, you may be wondering, how is it that Balaam just carries on a conversation with a donkey? Uh, was he shocked? Was he surprised? Um, was it just that he was so furious with this donkey that he temporarily lost his mind? You know, I showed you Second Peter 2.15. Look at Second Peter 2.16, talking about Balaam. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice. What's the last part? Restrained the madness of the prophet. So it could have been the fact that he was just so mad that he didn't even think about the donkeys talking to him. He's just ready to kill this thing. And he carries on the conversation. But let me give you another possibility, if I may. You're dealing with a man that was involved with the occult and demonic realms. And scholars tell me that it's possible that he could have talked to animals before. You remember that Satan, when he came to Eve in the garden, he came how? As a snake. You remember when the Lord Jesus cast out that host of demons, they cast them into the swine. And though it doesn't say the swine talked, they did run violently off the hillside and perished. And to be honest with you, being a barbecue lover, my heart always aches when I see all that good barbecue floating around. But anyway, uh, we know that they deal within... These realms, it could be possible that he had talked to animals before. But make no mistake about it, this time it was not a demon or the devil speaking. God opened the mouth of this donkey and used this donkey. Look at verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. An idea of obeisance or worship. That's why many believe this is the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, standing before him. Verse 32, the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? I find that interesting. He asked him that question. Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. You're perverse in my sight. What you're doing is perverse. I hate it. I detest it. I was going to kill you. Verse 33. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she'd not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. Balaam's eyes are open wide and he realizes how close to death he's come here. He's speaking probably to the Lord Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate form. And it says in verse 34, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And listen, don't let those words I have sinned impress you too much. I don't believe this is true repentance here. Did you know both Pharaoh and Judas Iscariot both said the same thing? I have sinned. And you know where they ended up. Numbers 22, verse 35. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. 
but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And then you have the story about him coming, being received, being shown to people. And let me just summarize it by saying to give you a more full picture. Here's what happens in the story. Instead of cursing them, he blessed them. In fact, if you put your finger in chapter 22, look at chapter 24, verses 10 and 11. We fast forward in the story. 24, 10, 11. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you. But in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Three times he went to hopefully curse them. But three times he blesses them. God would not allow him to curse his people. But that's not the whole story. Because we talked about, of course, the way of Balaam and the error of Balaam. But there's still the doctrine of Balaam. And it seems that Balaam did, in fact, find a way to curse God's people, to curse Israel after all. The Lord Jesus mentions it in Revelation 2, excuse me, Revelation 2, verse 14. And notice what it says on the screen for you. Talking to the church, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, now notice the next part. Here's the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak, that is the king, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. How? To eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In fact, in the same book we're in, if you go to Numbers 31, verse 16, here's what the Bible says. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. In other words, beloved, the doctrine of Balaam includes sexual immorality and idolatry. Though he could not verbally curse them, he basically said to King Balak, based upon what we just read there, listen, if you really want to get to them, you really want to harm them, here's what you do. And it involves sexual immorality, it involved idolatry, and you can read about that in Numbers chapter 25. Now, here's the question, of course, that we talked about at the beginning. Was Balaam... A pagan, wicked prophet? Or was he a prophet of God who was just confused and led astray by ambition and money? When I look at the full picture, when I look especially at these closing scriptures I gave you, I believe that Balaam was a wicked man, not just a confused prophet. He went out of his way to ensure that the harm came To God's people. And he's used over and over again in the scriptures as a warning, as a reminder, and to teach us some important truths. And I want to draw just three applications based upon these three New Testament passages and then we're done today. Three things to take with us from Balaam's life. And these three things about the way of Balaam and the error of Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam. Three things real quick. First of all, we need to be careful Not to use our spiritual gifts for personal gain. 
It's the idea of greed here. Now, listen, I'm not talking about full time ministers or missionaries or full time Christian workers. We have a New Testament precedent for that. The scripture gives instruction for that. I live of the gospel. Not talking about that at all. What I'm talking about is those who prostitute their gifting and their calling and their service for personal greedy gain. In other words, those whose focus is not the glory of God and the good of others. It's the gold, silver and stuff they can get from their supposed servants. These are folks who are truly prophets out to make a profit. I read a story, at least in two of the books I read this past week, about a preacher who came home and he was talking to his wife. And he talked to her and told her he had received an offer from a bigger church in a more affluent part of town. And he was talking to his wife about this. They had this offer, a bigger church, a affluent part of town, more money, surely, all these things. And he looked at his wife and he tells his wife, he says, listen, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to pray about this. And his wife looks at him and says, well, I think I'll come with you. He said, no, you stay down here and start packing. (laughs) Profit for profit. We would include in this any who fall into marketing uh, their ministry, materialism. The focus is upon dollar signs. It also reminds us to be careful who we listen to. Not everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ actually belongs to Christ or speaks for Christ. There are those who are greedy hucksters out there who would seek to abuse uh, the very name of Jesus for their own personal greed and wealth. Second lesson here. Be careful in seeking to find loopholes in God's clear word and will. The idea of disobedience. When God has clearly spoken about something, you don't need to keep studying about it or keep praying about it. Be careful. You say something like this. Well, I know God's word says this, but I'm going to pray about it. No, God's word says it. That's final. Because you know what? If you look hard enough, you can probably find a preacher or a commentator who will agree with what you're trying to say and what you're trying to teach or believe. God's word and God's will is not up for debate. God's will is final. Beware when you begin to rationalize and reinterpret God's clear word to fit your fancy. When you go saying, well, if I can find a scripture, I, I want to do this, but let me see what God's word says about it. Oh, oh, right there. That's it. Rip a verse out of context. Be careful about that. Balaam was told clearly, don't go, don't curse. Uh, they're blessed. Finally, and thirdly, be careful not to compromise with the world. That is to treat sin lightly. The Bible still says that we're to be holy, to touch not the unclean thing, to come out and be separate. You don't have to become like the world to reach the world. I was reading old Vance Havner this past week. He said it this way. You don't have to look like a clown to witness to a circus. You don't have to look like a clown to witness to a circus. Be careful compromising with sin in the world. Sin is not a light matter. Sin is serious business. Sin is deadly. And you can see how falling in the first two things led to the third thing in Balaam's life. As he began to be greedy over personal gain, they began to seek to kind of circumvent God's will and figure out a way. And then he begins to compromise and go with wicked men on a wicked mission. Can I just say, even though it's very unpopular today, but it's still biblical, there's to be a difference between the child of God and the child of the devil. 
There's to be a difference. Don't prostitute your testimony. Don't prostitute your popularity or your uh, convictions for popularity and acceptance. Be willing to stand alone with the Lord. Be willing to stand boldly for the Lord. Be willing to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. Don't compromise with the world. Don't treat sin lightly. Beware of Balaam's way. Beware of Balaam's error. Beware of Balaam's doctrine. They're to be avoided at all costs. May God help us to do this. That's why I told you when I studied this, that my eyes were open. When I was a boy growing up, whenever I heard the story of Balaam, the lesson that was always brought up, and I'm sure I probably taught it myself, was this lesson. And it's a true lesson. The lesson was always this. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. But I grew up on the King James. And so they would say it in the King James vernacular. And by the way, that's true. God can use a donkey and God can and will use you. But there's so much more to Balaam's story. Do you see it now? That's why he's mentioned again in Deuteronomy and Joshua and Nehemiah and Revelation and Second Peter. Because there's some things we need to learn. Beware, beware, beware. Don't follow Balaam. Follow God. Father, thank you. For your blessings. Thank you for what you're teaching us in these old, old stories that we love so much. Help us, Lord, in these matters. May your Holy Spirit search our hearts. May we never use our spiritual spiritual giftings in a greedy, sinful way. Lord, help us never to seek to rationalize and find loopholes and to circumvent your will and your word in your name. How horrible that is. Then, Lord, search our hearts where we're tempted to compromise with the world. Lord, help us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do thank you for that lesson we learned so long ago that, yes, you can use anybody, including a donkey. And so, Lord, you can use me. And so, Father, I pray that you'll bless these words to our heart. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. If God has spoken to your heart about a matter, the altar is open. We're going to close with number 490. Lead me to Calvary, King of my life. I crown thee now. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master. You have not saved. Come today and be saved. You are saved and God is speaking to your heart. You come today as we sing 490. Lead me to Calvary. Let's stand together and sing.